For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Grainger.com, or just stop by. Granger For the ones who get it done. Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. What up, listener? We wanted to take a second to thank you for listening to this Blue Wire podcast. Be sure to show your support to this pod by subscribing and dropping a five-star review on iTunes, a follow on Spotify, or the appropriate dap for any other platform you might be listening on. And if you're enjoying this show, chances are you'll like one of our 75 other sports podcasts. Find more shows you'll love at BlueWirePods.com. Thanks again for listening, and now back to your regularly scheduled podcast. You are listening to Fangirl Sports Network's Get My Job on Blue Wire. I am your host, Tracy Sandler, and I am joined this week by NBC Sports Bay Area's Jennifer Lee Chan. With the San Francisco 49ers playing in the Super Bowl this week, it seemed only appropriate that you would hear from two 49ers reporters. Jennifer has gone from wrestling to sports journalism, and she's done it with a lot of hard work. This is an inspirational episode that really drives home the point don't let the criticism of others keep you from doing what you are meant to do. So with that, fangirls, let's get to it. Hello, fangirl nation. I am so excited about today's Get My Job guest, Jennifer Lee Chan from NBC Sports Bay Area. Jennifer and I are very good friends, and we became friends uh, when we were because we're both covering the 49ers and have been for the last several years. So this is a real treat to get to talk to Jennifer in a little different capacity. So Jennifer, welcome to Get My Job. Well, thanks for having me on. I'm excited to be talking to you about it. <laughs> well, thank you. Me too. This is going to be really fun. Um, Jennifer is a really incredible reporter, incredible person. She's done so many cool things throughout her life. And really, she's just getting started because she just gets cooler and cooler uh, with each opportunity. So um, you guys are in for a treat. And so I want to start with something that I think people will find very interesting. Um, I obviously know about this, but not of all, all of our listeners do. So I want to talk about your career in pro wrestling. I want to know how that started, what the experience was like. I really, I want to know everything. So share with us whatever you would like to talk about. <laughs> so uh, it all started when I was doing a little bit of color in the stands for a show called Pro Beach Hockey, which started on ESPN2. So it's a roller rink uh, in Huntington Beach, and it was uh, it's ramped on the edges. So guys wear rollerblades and play hockey. It's kind of uh, a fun little thing that I think lasted for a couple seasons. So the same producer uh, produced Women of Wrestling, which is kind of a spinoff of Glow. He also worked on that show. He came up to me in the middle of the production and said, I have to have you on my wrestling show. And when someone says that to you, it's, um, a little confusing at first <laughs> totally and fair. then and then uh, you know it's kind of one of those things where you always kind of take a look at the opportunity and then you can always say no as you go along so I went to the audition he explained what kind of storyline he would like for me and uh, eventually was hired by him and my character name was Jade and we learned from the ground up how to wrestle which was um, challenging and somewhat painful sometimes very interesting 
Uh, our backgrounds uh, for a lot of us girls were from, uh, mine was a dance background, so I have a lot of ballet experience. Uh, some of the girls were stunt women, uh, some of the girls were gymnasts. So it was, you know, mostly athletes. And a couple of the veteran wrestlers from GLOW taught us how to wrestle. And if you've watched the show GLOW, it was very similar to that. So watching that for me was like, kind of like uh, reminiscing down memory lane. Oh, wow. <laughs> so, yeah. So we trained for about six months, learning how to wrestle, and then we did our live shows at the forum. So it was about, started out with like around 5,000 people watching us and grew to about 10,000 people at uh, our height. And we were nationally syndicated on UPN for a whole season. And uh, it was a crazy experience. And, you know, being in front of a live audience like that, you understand why guys like football players you know, crave that, that crowd involvement and crave that attention and being on this, on that huge stage once they leave it. It's, it's, it's a hard thing to like, to go away from at any point. And how long did you do it? I know you said you were syndicated first uh, season, but how long was it total? Right, right. So I did it for that season, it kind of went on hiatus. Our benefactor said, yeah, I'm good. So then 10 years later, we went back and did two live shows in Vegas. And I did some independent shows up in Alaska as well, but uh, two live shows in Vegas. And then they broke those up into, I believe, two or three seasons that they put out digitally. So, uh, yeah, you can YouTube my wrestling matches, which is crazy. Uh, George Kittle actually found it very amusing. <laughs> I'm, I am sure that he did, as he is quite the fan of wrestling. I'm sure he found the whole thing. Very amusing, and later I will be YouTubing your wrestling matches for sure. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> that sounds just amazing. Do you ever miss it? You know, I it's you miss the crowd interaction. It's like the live shows, getting ready, being in front of a live audience is just such a huge adrenaline rush. You know, it's I miss that part about of it, but I don't miss the the physical pain. So uh, I actually retired after a pretty decent sized concussion. And, you know, always had head and neck issues because it's, it's really not um, those guys. I have so much respect for them, the people that wrestle uh, for a long period of time. The, the bottom of a ring is uh, steel rebar, then plank wood and then plywood and then carpet padding and then canvas. So that's all you're really landing on. So it's uh, you have to learn how to land. And then, you know, there's always times like in football where you land not the way you're supposed to because it's you know, nothing's ever perfect that way. So lots of bumps and bruises, lots of neck injuries. So that part about it, I do not miss. But the performances are, were just incredible fun and so much adrenaline. If you were challenged to a wrestling match today, do you think you could do it? Oh, my goodness. Uh, I could not, probably Not that do I'm going to challenge you, but... <laughs> 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 I, mean, I think a couple moves that, you know, there are certain things that you can do that make sense. Uh, but yeah, I, I would be very hesitant to do that. <laughs> That's fair. Um, so then you, so you finished that. Um, and so did you then go back, did you go back to sports journalism in the 10 years in between? Uh, or when did you kind of pick that back up? Um, and what was your journey like there? So I've always been a huge football fan. Um, it took a while for it kind of for me, to, I guess, to blossom doing it. It's been about eight years since I really kind of kind of dug my feet in and started to do it. And 
Um, but, you know, being the first granddaughter of two, my father and my grandfather who love football, I think they were really hoping they were going to get a boy, but they got me instead. <laughs> so uh, I would always be the one watching football with them. That's one thing I always did with my dad on Sundays would be, you know, to watch football. When I was in first grade, I could tell you the mascots of every team in the NFL and then kind of watched football with my grandfather in my childhood and then went to USC. And as you know, going to a, a huge football school, you kind of become entrenched with the football team. Um, so I was an athlete when I was at USC, became friends with the football players, and then you kind of watch their paths after they leave the school, and it just becomes even more, you're more connected to it because you actually know the people that are on the field. So kind of through that, back about seven years ago, I've always talked about football and have heard so many different people say, you really should be doing something with that. Why aren't you doing something with that? So finally, kind of at a, a later stage of my life, I was like, yeah, why am I not doing something with that? So kind of uh, decided to take the leap and have kind of interestingly made a little bit of a career out of it. <laughs> oh, I would say you've you've definitely made a career out of it. I wouldn't even say a little bit of a career out of it. Uh, can you talk a little bit for our listeners uh, how, where you first started and how you got to your position with NBC Today, which is just awesome where you and you do a fantastic job Thank you uh similar to what you're doing with uh fangirl sports network i started writing for a website called nfl female and it was 32 women covering the nfl all women writers and there was one girl for each team so i would write once or twice a week covering the team um just kind of opinion pieces we'd do a gamer after sunday's matchup and uh, from there, I wanted to get more content. Is really the key to, you know, doing your job well is content. So I teamed up with pro camps and would start going to their camps. And they have them all over the country. They're a fantastic way to kind of get your foot in the door. They take a star football player, and they do it for baseball and basketball, so it applies to several different sports. They take that player, and they bring in from one to 300 kids into a camp for either one day or two days. And it is this well-oiled machine. And it was fantastic. Once they realized I was there to help promote the whole organization and program along with getting to know the player who was involved, they kind of let me hang out and take pictures of whoever I wanted to, take pictures of the kids, talk to the athlete. And it's just nice to be in those situations where it's off season and there's no pressure on the player to you know, be getting ready for a game. Everybody's more relaxed and that and along with charity events were kind of a great way for me to get content. And then I would guest post on SB Nation, Niners Nation. That was my next step. So David Fuchillo, who was the editor of Niners Nation at the time, asked me, kind of because uh, we followed, ended up following each other on Twitter, uh, which is kind of where the beginning of so many relationships, work relationships happen. And mm -hmm. he said, hey, you know, let's, do you want to kind of make a little bit of money doing this? And let's have you, you know, bring you on and, and have you start writing for us. So I did that for about four and a half, almost five years. And every year my role kind of got bigger. Um, of course, and my paycheck corresponded, which was lovely. <laughs> and they, uh, I got the opportunity to do kind of my own content. And really, the freedom that he gave me was fantastic. So I started writing. And then I started doing 
social media, of course, and then I started doing videos. They would edit them. So I kind of got a well-rounded um, skill set of being able to do all of the above, which is kind of what you have to do these days. You know, you've got um, writers who have to be on camera. You've got camera guy, people who have to write now. It's kind of you have to be a jack of all trades at this point to kind of increase your value. And then through that, also building your audience, it's like so many different things you have to kind of keep your eye on. And then working closely with Matt Mayoko with NBC Sports and being around the 49ers so much, he actually recommended me for a job uh, at NBC Sports. And then this is my second year with them and uh, I've learned so much. He's been a fantastic mentor. And now I work with them. So that's kind of how my path went. Excellent. Thank you. That is a good, that's a good path. And it's, I think it's an important path for people to hear. And we talk a lot with our guests about their journeys and how, you know, when you get to know somebody doesn't mean that was the first day they went, they woke up one morning and said, you know what, I think I'll cover the 49ers today. And then it's just like, they popped up. Like there's, there's a journey. There's a lot of hard work. There's a lot that goes into it. And so I always think it's very important for our listeners to hear, especially one of the things you said about in this day and age, you do need to be able to be a jack of all trades and you need to have a number of different skill sets because you just, when an opportunity comes, you have to be able to take it and you don't want to say to somebody, I'm, I can't do that. I don't know how. Uh, so I think it's, you know, it's really important. So I'm, I'm glad that you shared your journey in that way. Cause I think it's important for our listeners to know that none of this comes easy. And I know guys, I sound like a broken record because I talk about it pretty much every week. <laughs> But I still think it's an important point to drive home um, because I know there are a lot of young women listening that want to get involved in sports and want to be in sports journalism, either behind or in front of the camera. And um, I want them to know all the all the things that go into that. So thank you for sharing that story. Uh, and, and somewhat along those lines, um, as you've been doing this now kind of on and off for a while and then consistently the last several years, what is a misstep that you see women making when trying to break into the sports industry? Unfortunately for women, as opposed to men, there's kind of this, um, there's like a tipping point. So you don't want to be too aggressive because you come off as a bitch and you don't want to be too meek either because then you get run over by the men. So I think finding that balance is really difficult. And I mean, for me, when I first got onto the beat, I watched Mindy Bach, who was fantastic. She was, you know, eloquent with her questions, but also aggressive when she needed to be. And I think it's, you know, unfortunately for women, you know, guys can be aggressive or they can be passive and no one really judges them. But I think for women, it's more difficult. You have to kind of be balanced. You have to be one of the guys and, you know, but still be feminine and find that point where, you know, you can make people feel comfortable around you, but also, um, not be too meek where you don't get your questions in or you don't get the story that you want or you don't get to talk to the person you need to talk to for your story. So I think, not that it's a mistake, but it's just, I think, finding your voice in a world where it's predominantly men. I think that's the biggest challenge. Was there any sort of criticism you received early on kind of along those lines, whether it be... I mean, it could, it doesn't have to be about that, but I don't know whether being, oh, you're being too aggressive, you're too meek, or generally, is there a criticism you received early on that while it was tough for you to take really shaped your future in a positive way? Yeah. Um, 
when I first started doing it, uh, a person that I had been kind of very close to through um, different aspects, I had been in uh, the kind of acting world for a while and then kind of branched into the writing world. Uh, this person told me, he's like, oh, you're too old. Look, your looks are going to fade. You're not going to be pretty that much longer. So I don't know why you're starting this at this point in your life. Oh. And yeah, it was very, very shocking and very hurtful to me. But it was so motivational because it doesn't matter. I mean, like, yes, it's great to have beautiful women on screen, but what really drives the media machine is content. So it doesn't matter what you look like. I think there's some of the most fantastic people in our jobs that, you know, aren't going to be on the cover of magazines for GQ or Vogue, but because they create and find the best content, those people's jobs and their work is so valued in our, you know, in our field. So I think that kind of motivated me more to even find out what I needed to do to be uh, even better. And, you know, just my drive to figure out how I was going to do it and have that not be a factor at all. Obviously, we all take care of ourselves. and We want to be, uh, you know, our appearance needs to be great for when we're uh, on camera and, and doing our job. But the fact that that shouldn't be the most important thing that, you know, kind of determines where you are, where you go in this field, it's really the content that matters the most. And we want to be the best versions of ourselves, but that includes, and most importantly, like you said, is the content because you could be on the cover of Vogue and then you get on camera to talk about the game or a player or a story. And if you don't know what you're talking about, it's not going to matter. That's the end of it for you. So it is absolutely content and, and the information you have and you share is, is hundred percent the most important thing. And that's just, it's, I'm glad it was motivating for you. It's just unfortunate that someone said that and no one would ever say that to a man in this industry. Absolutely. Absolutely. So if you ever hear that, I mean, it has, I mean, yes, we absolutely try to, you know, portray the best version of ourselves, like you said, but it don't take that seriously. Absolutely not. Cause you can get there through so many other different ways and that's more important than the outside visual part of it. We had Diana Rossini on the podcast and that was for her, the number one mistake she felt um, when we talked through this was just that women are putting so much emphasis on that and not, you know, sometimes not always focusing on the content. And, and she always tells young women, focus on the content, focus on your knowledge. And that's, you know, the number one most important thing. So I'm glad that, that you said that. Um, you So that was a person that had been someone you worked closely with. You mentioned Matt Miyoko, who is wonderful, as a mentor to you. It um, wasn't Matt. <laughs> no, I know. Oh, no, it wasn't. No, no, I know. Obviously. No, no, no. It would, Matt Miyoko, would, in a million years, Matt Mayoko would never say something would like that. Would never say that, yes. <laughs> no, but I was just saying, as you had mentioned Matt Mayoko as a mentor to you, um, do you have any other mentors that you've had throughout your career that you want to talk about? Um, he has been fantastic. And, you know, just watching the women who have paved the way for us, um, those are the women that I look to. And uh, like I said earlier, also, Mindy Bach was a fantastic example because going into a locker room of any sport, of, you know, a male locker room can be intimidating. And, you know, it, we're also thankful that we cover the 49ers, which is a very, um, I think, open 
franchise that promotes people of all different colors and uh, backgrounds to be involved with the team, obviously with Katie Sowers on the, on the coaching staff. And I think that's um, something I'm very thankful for. Uh, but watching Mindy and the way she conducted herself in the locker room, because I had never been in a, I'd worked out with varsity athletes before in college, but to be in the, a female in a male locker room is a different beast all by itself. And to kind of watch her and the way she conducted herself and just her behavior, her um, everything she did in the locker room, I watched her and just, you know, the first year I kind of didn't really ask a whole lot of questions, kind of shouted her a little bit. Um, I've talked to her about it since then. But she is one of the people that really kind of supported and helped my kind of beginning years covering the 49ers. And I will always be thankful to her and just the, the example she sets for everybody, not just females. Yes, I think that's true. Mindy is incredible. She's an incredible journalist. And she's, it, it would behoove everybody to watch Mindy Bach, not like you said, not just uh, females. It really would. She was really a, an incredible journalist, a true professional, and excellent at her job. Uh, and it's funny that you mentioned the locker room, because I don't know if you remember this, but my um, first locker room experience was, you know, well, it wasn't my first locker room experience, but um, but <laughs> it was close. And we we were going, I think it was a preseason game, and we were going to the locker room, and I remember you said, let, I don't, you know, I don't know how long it's been since you've been in a locker room, but let me give you just a couple of, you know, tips and things to do. And it was very helpful. So thank you for that. And thank Mindy for teaching that to you. <laughs> absolutely. Always pay it forward. <laughs> yes, absolutely. And that also just brings up another point that I like to drive home and not a lot. Pay it forward. Women help other women. It is the best thing you can do. We are better together. This is not, it is not a competitive world. It should be a world in which we help each other and pay it forward. So I'm glad that you just said that too. Thanks, Jen. Absolutely. Uh, it was something actually Bonnie Jill Laughlin was on, and she talked a lot about that, and we talked about how lucky we are um, to cover the 49ers and how many great women um, are involved in covering the team and that everybody really does support each other and works together. And so um, that comes from people like Mindy, really, who set that tone, I think, for women. Um, yeah, when she you're started. right. Uh, so... With that, I want to go back a few years to a pretty big story uh, that you basically broke. It was your photo of uh, the national anthem and the 49ers national anthem uh, where it was noticed that Colin Kaepernick at the time, he wasn't kneeling, he was sitting during the national anthem. But that was your photo that essentially broke that story that was noticed by uh, another reporter who ended up speaking with Colin. But what was that experience like for you? It was very fortuitous, and uh, it's. It, I happened to be taking a photo of the sidelines because that was the year that the Rams were on Hard Knocks, and uh, I remember watching, and Jeff Fisher gave an entire speech on where players needed to be, how they would behave on the sidelines, and, I mean, he was very specific about where everybody should be during the anthem. And when the 49ers were standing there and it wasn't chaos it was just like different groups of people with you know different areas on the field and some coaches were here some players were there and so I took a picture of it and said well this sideline isn't Jeff Fisher approved and it ended up being the one photo that was taken that still exists of 
Collins sitting on the bench before he knelt. So it's really the only picture because after that, he met with Nate Boyer and in San Diego and they started kneeling and kind of came to a compromise about kneeling during the anthem. Um, it was a very interesting experience. And um, the attention that it got was obviously more than I think any of us ever imagined. And um, just, you know, I think part of it is realizing that you never know when what you see or what you film or what you take a picture of becomes the next historical moment. So mm -hmm. it's kind of taught me to always be ready, always have an eye out, keep, you know, always keep yourself aware of what's going on around the stadium. You might, I mean, we all miss so many different things that are happening, but to try to pick out those different things that, you know, maybe not everybody else sees, those become kind of like those unexpected big moments sometimes. So um, kind of a lesson in that, but yeah, it was a very interesting time. And um, I, uh, yeah, it was uh, very unexpected. And um, it was, uh, I mean, I'm proud of the fact that I was part of that kind of moment in history, but um, it wasn't intentional. So not everything always is. Well, I think probably most of the, the most amazing moments that any of us capture are not intentional. Sometimes you capture something and you're like, oh, this, this is great. People are going to love this. And it, mm -hmm. maybe they don't, or it just is kind of normal, you know, a normal amount of engagement or whatever. Right. But I think right. excellent advice, just keep your eye out because you do never know. And sometimes you capture something that really speaks to someone or speaks to a lot of someone. Um, but in this particular case, you certainly were a part of history, um, and that I know was amazing and a, and a crazy time for you. So um, thank you for sharing that with us. Um, somewhat along those lines, actually, because you talked a little bit about the advice of, of paying attention and trying to find those nuggets. What is another piece of advice that you would give our listeners who are you know, embarking on a career in sports journalism? Um, take every opportunity to you can to be involved and to um, get closer to the action. So, I mean, a great way to do it, especially if you're starting out, is to cover the community events, the charity events, all of that stuff that, you know, teams are going to want coverage of. I mean, because, I mean, we, we all know that when you're on the beat, you've got so much more to cover. So it becomes kind of, unfortunately, something that kind of gets overshadowed by the actual play on the field, of course, because that's, you know, your, your main content. But a way to get yourself kind of in the door is to, I mean, I, I worked it through pro camps and you can do it through colleges. You can do it through high schools. You can do it through uh, professional teams. Just there's so many ways that teams work with the community and they want that coverage. So it makes it so, it connects you quickly. It's easy to get, you know, to meet people and build relationships that way because it's also doing a good deed because it's fantastic coverage for usually fantastic events where people are helping the community. Um, but I think it's just, it's something that's overlooked. People want to get to the games. They want to get into the locker room during the season. But sometimes those are the places where you get the best stories, you know when I covered it when Colin Kaepernick did an event, my favorite part was the luncheon where the 10 and 12 year olds got to ask him questions. 
and you get these, you know, eight, nine, ten-year-olds asking the, the players who their favorite person is on the team, who their best friend is, what's their favorite video game, and it's kind of those little nuggets that are things that people don't always get to find out or hear, and it becomes great content. So, you know, kind of leaving no stone unturned to, you know, build your relationships and also great, get great content at the same time. Along those lines, what is maybe one of the most rewarding stories you've ever covered? I think I find uh, the most reward in, you know, the stories that come from players that maybe don't want to tell you what they are thinking, but then they end up doing it because they really want to get out there. It's, it's kind of those um, those things that, like, you know they want to tell you, but they're really hesitant. I, I think, you know, those kind of things are um, so rewarding. Uh, one of my favorite ones was talking to Trent Taylor after his year where he just struggled because he had had back issues. He thought he was going to be able to come back much more quickly, and he just struggled, and it was so frustrating for him. And when I spoke to him, he got very emotional. His eyes kind of got watered up. But to kind of be able to break down that barrier and to be able to tell his story about how frustrating it was. Because, you know, the thing about the way social media is set up now, you get so many people that are hypercritical of players and what they do, but you don't know the backstory. So I think kind of uncovering that, those kind of, untold stories are those are the most rewarding things where you know you kind of really have to work hard for it but then you get that great unique story and that great great coverage those are the ones that really just hit home and make all of it so rewarding and worthwhile so you wear a couple of different hats in your spare time and i make that uh, say that as a joke but <laughs> you, um you also are a kick-ass Pilates teacher uh, in California, in Southern California. So I'd love for you to take us through a day in the life of Jennifer Lee Chan. And it could be, I think game day is always great. Uh, and then maybe one other day during the week. Game days are crazy. If anyone texts me during game day and I don't get back to them, it's just, you know, it is part of the nature of the job. I know you know as well as I do. Um, I usually get to the stadium four hours before the game. Okay. I am at my desk, yeah, kind of prepping. I will sometimes, if I get there early enough, I might watch a condensed version of the opponent's, you know, a condensed version of the opponent's game. I might watch the 49ers' previous game because it's usually 35, 40 minutes. Um, I go through the roster, looking at, you know, who's inactive. Thankfully, the last two weeks, it hasn't been too much of a, a guessing game. But throughout mm -hmm. the season, it's definitely, you know, you know who's going to be inactive? What are the storylines going to be? Um, kind of prepping your angles for the game ahead. And then um, two hours before the game, Matt and I do Facebook Live, and we talk on the field, and it's filmed, and we discuss what, uh, you know, preview the game. We talk about the players that are warming up, who might have a big game, what might be the biggest challenges for the team. And then, of course, we get to watch warm-ups on the field. And then, you know, if you don't know who the inactives are, you trying to pick out which ones are doing what workouts, prior to the game, who might be inactive, who might not, who's coming out in game pants, 
any indicator you can kind of figure out to see who's going to play or who might not play uh, that guessing game. Uh, 90 minutes before the game enacted are officially announced by the team. So uh, I used to have to write that. Now I just have to tweet it. And then mm -hmm. about an hour before, um, Matt and I go right outside the Fort Niners locker room and we do a live hit to uh, Laura in the studio. So our 49ers pregame show uh, starts about an hour before. We do a live hit from the locker room there. And then back out onto the field to watch warmups after the guys have put their pads on. Um, kind of, you know, sensing the energy, checking out the crowd. Um, again, just kind of like, kind of getting the vibe for who's doing what, where, and then very shortly, right before kickoff, um, I'll head up to the press box. We watch the game and try to scarf down some food at some point. Confessions <laughs> <laughs> is key. Uh, maybe yes. some caffeine. Uh, three oh, hour, <laughs> yes, three hours, three and a half hours. We've been lucky this season where the games have been around three hours. There hasn't been, there haven't been any marathon games, except for the overtime games. Um, and then after the game, uh, head down to the auditorium where, uh, or where we are on the road and we get Kyle Shanahan and head coach and then to the locker room to try and grab players for whoever might've had a great day, whoever might've had a challenging game back to the, the auditorium where, uh, they usually pull four or five players for us at any given time. So bouncing back and forth to the auditorium and the locker room and back to the auditorium and back to the locker room until it's completely cleared out, which was a really long time after the NFC championship game, which yeah. happily, um, no yeah. one wanted to leave, which was a good thing. <laughs> yes, absolutely. Uh, and then back to the workroom where I usually do two sidebars. So uh, I usually do a story on Jimmy Garoppolo because for some reason he is, um, he gets a lot of attention and a lot of traction on social media and on the, on our digital side. Fancy mm -hmm. that. Uh, and then whoever may have, might have a breakout game or who maybe he has a really quiet game. So uh, last week it was Emmanuel Sanders and George Kittle didn't do a whole lot in the passing game, and it was just fine after mm -hmm. the team ran the ball 42 times. Um, so figuring out that. And then usually it's about 12 hours later when I finally leave the stadium. So it's a long day, but it is very rewarding, very challenging all at the same time. It is a very, so, um, very long day. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and so, yes. And also, you know, advice is be ready for the long days. Pack snacks yeah. in your bag because it, you never Shoot. know how long it might take. <laughs> change, change. Yes. And shoes. yes. Those are, I have shoes for snacks the field and shoes. game. And then I have press box shoes. The press box shoes are a tennis shoe of sort always. And I cannot recommend that highly enough. <laughs> I really cannot. Absolutely. Yeah, um, and I do the exact same thing. Actually, um, this and then year, like a rate, yeah. Oh, I was just going to say ahead. that this year after the New Orleans game, when we came down to for all of the post game press stuff, and you know it was a little bit of a longer walk, and I had heels on, I ended up taking them off and just running through the tunnels of the Superdome without shoes on. So, and I and <laughs> okay, I made it. Yeah, you got to do what you got to do. Not even what you got to do. So, <laughs> pack spare shoes. Okay, now on to your not game day day in the life of Jennifer Lee Chan. <laughs> Um, yeah, so at any given point in a week, I am, I teach 10 Pilates classes a week. So Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, uh, generally on those days, I also go up to San Jose for the day. So on a Wednesday, let's say 
Uh, I teach at 6 and 7 in the morning. I finish at 8. I change clothes very quickly. I race to LAX, get on a usually a 9 o'clock flight. I'm in San Jose by 10.30 or 10.30-ish, uh, usually at the stadium by 11 after grabbing some food. Uh, we have availability with Kyle Shanahan, Jimmy Garoppolo, open locker room. We watch practice. I will tape a SNC hit, a, a Sports News Central hit with Matt for uh, whatever game is going on. So if there's a Warriors game, we'll do a hit from 49ers just to kind of intersperse between uh, breaks of the game. And then I will write uh, usually two stories after we watch practice. And then usually get on like a three, four, or five o'clock flight back to LA. Uh, I come back, I may hit a class and work out, uh, try to grab food at some point, and then come home and pass out. Totally. <laughs> that's, totally how every, that's how every day ends. Get home and pass out. <laughs> Which is also fair. Um, and brings up the question of, of balance. And I, like I said before, I don't think any of us can truly balance on a daily basis, but where do you find the balance just during the week um, and, and prioritize? I am a professional napper. So <laughs> at any point yeah. in any given day, if I can find 15 or 20 minutes to just knock out for a moment, that is what I do. Uh, but balance I think there's also like while you do so much for your job, I think you also, I mean, for me, the cathartic thing is actually getting a workout in. So while I find myself in the Pilates studio a lot, it's great taking classes because it's 50 minutes where I can turn my brain off, have someone else make decisions for me, and I just go with the flow, get a workout in, the adrenaline gets pumping, and then afterwards i feel like i've accomplished something and i didn't have to think very hard during it so it's a brain break but a body workout which is kind of a nice uh uh opposition to having to think and work through everything the rest of the entire day people people say to me i don't know how you still go to the gym with all your travel schedule and i, I have to like it, it's a it makes all the difference and you're right it's that time where you can turn off your brain it's your time and then you always had that hour, 50 minutes hour for you. Uh, and then you can move on with your day. I think it's incredibly important. Yes. Well, so although one thing that I do end up thinking about during working out is what I'm going to eat afterwards. So there's oh, but that's totally fair. <laughs> and I would be worried about you didn't think that. <laughs> yeah, the general thoughts, yeah, the break and everything football is food. <laughs> It's funny, I, I pick my workout on the day based on what my meal situation is going to be. Do I need a really hard workout because I'm eating a lot? Can I do a lighter workout? I totally get that, uh, and, and I appreciate that about you. <laughs> Jen is also an incredible foodie, and she is excellent at finding great restaurants and ordering very well and takes awesome photos, which you can find on her social, so make sure to follow there. But yeah, Jen is, is a great foodie, and I'm some of our best restaurants on the road, I think all of our best restaurants that we find are the ro on the road are through Jen. So we are very oh, lucky. You, you've actually done a great job as well. <laughs> well, I, I, try to, I, I try to emulate when I, when I need to, but I, I do like it when you pick restaurants because they're always delicious. <laughs> there are a lot of reasons we're lucky to cover the 49ers, and that is one of them for sure. <laughs> that's, that's Absolutely. Um, it's a funny beat. It's a foodie beat. Um, so this yep. brings us to 
My favorite section, I know, Jennifer, this will not shock you at all, but of course my favorite section <laughs> of the Get My Job podcast is Five Fun Facts, my favorite thing ever. Um, Jennifer was there the day that I got Five Fun Facts with Jimmy Garoppolo, and I looked at her <laughs> and went running out the media workroom. <laughs> so she knows how much I love my fun facts. Um, so, Jen, as you can probably tell and, and from what's talking before, we do the same five fun facts for every guest, which has been so fun. We've gotten so many different great recommendations, whether it be coffee, workout, books. Um, so whenever you are ready or if you are ready, I will run on through them for you. All right. Sounds good. I'm ready. All right. What is your favorite moment in sports and does it involve USC? No, I'm just kidding. What is your favorite moment? <laughs> <laughs> I think you and I probably have a very similar one, I would think, because we're both 49ers fans. Obviously, the catch is one of the best moments in NFL history, in sports history. And I know it got overshadowed by another play in the top 100. But for all 49ers fans, I mean, it has to be the catch. It's the, the turning point of the franchise. It couldn't have happened to a nicer guy in Dwight Clark and – uh, just the stories behind it and how it turned around the team into what it is today. Um, just, it's just one of those stories. I, I, you know, I watch a football life with Dwight Clark and I get teary eyed and get goosebumps at the same time. So for me, that's like my favorite moment in sports. And what is your life motto? Never let anyone outwork you. Uh, I think there's, for uh, it's hard, we, we all multitask, but I think if you p always put in that little bit extra, those little bit extras add up into a big extra, and it puts you so much further ahead. I like that one a lot. That's a great one. What is your go-to workout? Well, I guess I'm a Pilates instructor. Uh, yeah. <laughs> it is Pilates. I will find a studio on the road. Uh, most times, um, I just have found that uh, it actually started, I tore a tendon in my ankle and needed to find something that was less concussive to me and found it and fell in love with it so much that I became an instructor. Uh, my first class, I remember everybody has game face on and I thought, oh my God, I am dying and these people are just like, they're fine. How is this happening? And then after the class breaks, everybody says they're also dying. So then <laughs> you're like, oh, okay, it's not just me. Everybody just has game face on. Um, but I found that it was just, yeah, it, um, it's so rewarding. I love the fact that it's different every time I take it, different music, different instructors, different types of uh, workouts. I tend to get a little bored. So uh, while I have done um, yoga and I love the, the ones where it's not the same routine every day, I kind of try and find things that are different. So um, keeps my attention, uh, keeps my energy. And what is your go-to coffee order? I am a latte girl. So uh, I usually kind of splurge and do whole milk or a breve, which is half and half, so naughty. Uh, but I love <laughs> latte, espresso, um, generally plain if I'm going to do the whole milk. If I go with a skim milk, then I'll do a flavor. But generally whole milk or you know what's really funny is when I asked you that question, I was thinking I actually don't know her go-to coffee order. Yeah. <laughs> so how many times we've had coffee together? Yeah, it's shocking actually for the amount of time. That's really, 
really funny. So now I will know if I'm stopping at Starbucks what to pick you up. But that's just really funny. I was like, wait, I actually don't know the answer to this question. <laughs> Um, so there we go. That is a fun fact that your girl here has learned. Um, and last but not least, what is a book that you believe every woman should read? Oh, reading is such a luxury to me. Um, I tend to go for, um, I, I tend to go for fiction when mm -hmm. I read. Uh, there isn't really one book I was thinking about this. There isn't really any one book that I've like, oh my God, I have to, you know, I have to pass this one on. Uh, I tend to read kind of more um, thrilling, uh, not fiction books. So uh, the whole series, uh, Girl with the Dragon Tattoos, that series was kind of the one that was, I was like, wow. Uh, maybe because it's kind of like the story of an underdog. I think that's kind of a story line I gravitate to. Um, mm -hmm. An underdog female who just goes out there and kicks ass. I think any woman mm -hmm. should read a story and that type of storyline. So um, somewhat motivational, but yeah, I could think of one that I like recommended to everybody, but um, that's kind of a, a storyline that I gravitate to. I think that's, I think that's fair. And I think that's very on brand as a female kicking ass. <laughs> so I think that is, I wouldn't call you an underdog, but I would say you are a female that kicks ass. So therefore uh, I think oh, thank makes, you. <laughs> you're very welcome. So I think it makes sense. Well, Jennifer, this was really fun, and I actually got to learn even more about you. Um, I actually don't think I knew how the wrestling started. I knew that you were a wrestler. I knew parts of that story, but not all of it, and I learned so much about you today, uh, and I know our listeners really enjoyed it. So thank you for joining me today. Thank you so much for having us. Great to talk, and um, as always, as I tell every female that I come across, if you ever have any questions, please don't feel, you know, you know, please reach out. Don't feel scared or don't feel like it's too much. Always reach out because I know you, like I, also am absolutely willing to help and pay forward. Absolutely. 100%. And with that, Fangirl Nation, we will talk to you next week. Bye, everybody. Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you, with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.